0: Welcome to the North Sound Church podcast. For more information about North Sound Church,
1: please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Church so good to see you all. I am glad that you chose to worship with us today. And if you haven't done any fasting for Lent, I'm not here to say you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm here to say this is a wonderful week to actually consider doing that because it's just a week between now and, uh, and Easter Sunday. And so if you want to fast uh, a food item or a television program or something else, I've heard a whole number of different things that folks are doing. Um, this would be a great time to uh, to do that, to consider doing that. So. Um, We invite you to do that. And then also to join us, as uh, Pastor Finney mentioned, Monday, Thursday is uh, remembering the Last Supper in a simple communion service. Friday night, I I love the service. Uh, Casey and I have been chatting about it, and uh, it's really going to be good, isn't it, Casey? Yeah. And I I don't think I have any part at all in it other than welcoming people. Maybe that's why it's going to be especially good. Um, And so... um, and then of course, um, wonderful Easter Sunday services. We're gonna have uh, a choir, and we're going to have um, an orchestra for Easter Sunday morning, so it's gonna be uh, really cool and uh, and fun. Well, I invite you to uh, take your uh, Bibles and uh, turn with us to our text for today, uh, which is from Matthew chapter 27. And we're gonna get there in just a little bit, but before we do, um, I have to tell you a story about your elders here at North Sound Church. Sorry, I'm just trying to get organized. Um, obviously very spiritual people, um, four men and one woman, very spiritual people. Um, and, um, and our conversations, of course, are as well. But a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from Jack Hoover suggesting uh, perhaps a new outreach strategy for the church based upon an outreach strategy that he had, uh, he had read about. And it appears that in a Baptist church, I think it was in the South, just from the context, I think it was in the South, uh, Baptist church, and the pastor was doing some visitation in the community, and the pastor um, called on this one particular home, and the, uh, the individual there, after he introduced himself as the pastor of the local Baptist church down the street, said, well, preacher, I'll come to your church. Remember this, Jack? Preacher, I'll come to your church um, if you have if you drink some of my homemade peach brandy and tell the congregation you drank it. If you were the Baptist preacher, what would you do? So he drank it. Thank you. I don't know. Was that you? Yeah. Thank you. Now we know. Thank you. That's insightful. Um, so... So he drank it, and the next Sunday morning, sure enough, this fellow was sitting in the congregation, and the pastor acknowledged him and said, it is so good to have Mr. Johnson with us in the service today. I need to commend him for his hospitality, especially for the peaches he gave me and the spirit in which they were given. (laughs) I, I love that. That was uh, so. The elders are open to innovative ideas for outreach. Uh, help us with that. So we're going to talk about the cross today. We're actually not going to talk so much about the. Um, the the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which I suppose is more typical. But next Sunday we talk about the resurrection, so this is kind of an opportunity to share a bit about the cross in the series that we're doing on the journey to the cross. Back in 1973, a psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin... And as the book title suggests, he referenced the question of sin and the understanding of sin as a word even, and certainly as a concept disappearing from our daily lives. He said the word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word. It described a central point in every civilized human being's life plan and lifestyle. But the word went away. It has almost disappeared, the word along with the notion. Why, he says, why doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Now, what amazed me about this is that it was said in 1973. And when you think about our culture since 1973, It's just continued to go in the direction of secularism and individualism so that increasingly the word sin is repulsive to our culture. And if there is no sin, then is there any need for a savior? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. Because you see, evil is still around us. Just look at the news and the tragedies of this past week to get an understanding of the evil that exists around us. Oz Guinness tells a story about the poet W.H. Auden in his book, Signals of Transcendence. He says when he left Oxford, that's W.H. Auden, who is a poet So when he left Oxford, he was a young left-wing atheist and gay at the time when it was not popular. And he was a hero to people on the left and fought against Franco in the Spanish Civil War. So he comes over to America to escape this with his gay partner, and of course in 1939 there's no television, so you have to go to the cinema on a Saturday night to watch the latest round of the documentary news. And unbeknownst to him, the audience in the cinema he went to in the Upper East Side of Manhattan was almost all German in Yorkville. And one night he went and the documentary was on the siege of Poland and Nazi stormtroopers who were bayoneting women and children brutally. But the German audience in the cinema cried out, kill them, kill them, egging on their fellow countrymen. And Auden sat there in the darkness, horrified. He says in two minutes, his whole worldview was overturned. First, he knew there was radical evil. He always saw humans as basically good, a little better psychology, politics, education, and we turn out well. But no, he now knew that humans had evil. But worse, he needed an absolute to say Hitler was absolutely wrong, not relatively, just culturally. Not culturally, not relatively. So he says, I left the cinema a seeker after an unconditional absolute and met Jesus. That passion for an absolute to judge what was absolutely evil was a signal to him. And so, friends, the Bible tells us the story of evil, of sin, and its effect on us, but also the story of what God did to deal with evil, to deal with sin once and for all. And a true understanding of that story takes us to what Jesus did on the cross, and what Jesus did on the cross literally changes lives. And so... I want for us to have a look at our text for this morning, and it's found in Matthew chapter 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This whole larger paragraph is summarized in the very short verse in John 19, 30. It is finished. It is finished. Several weeks ago, we talked about what the cross meant, what, what it meant to be saved, what salvation actually meant, and we looked at some different words to describe that, and What I'd like to do is to consider four words concerning the nature of sin that uh, come to us from Nicky Gumbel of the Alpha series, although we're not going to watch a a video, Uh, but also I, I integrated into those descriptions of sin what the cross did for us to relieve us from those issues created by sin in the world. The first thing Nikki mentioned was that there is a pollution to sin. We see in Mark 7 verses 21 to 23 these words, for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they define a person. So sometimes when we think of sin, we think of the big ones. We think of the Ten Commandments. And, and, and it's actually fairly easy for us to say, even though we know that we deal stuff in our, with stuff in our own lives, it's fairly easy for us to say, well, at least I don't do that, right? This uh, past month, we have a, uh, last when, when Lent began. We had a pastors' gathering. Uh, Edmonds pastors get together and we we share a devotional thought. And this time around, Pastor Ryan Brotherton, who is the rector of Holy Trinity Edmonds, our North Sound's Anglican church plant right here in downtown Edmonds, Pastor Ryan shared with us an Anglican liturgy for Lent. And I have to tell you that as he was reading this, it was convicting. I I realized the pervasive nature of sin. And I'm going to read you part of this liturgy that expresses a confession for sin in our lives in ways that perhaps none of us have ever thought of. And so I ask you to do a little self-reflection On this list of things that we gathered there, and together we made our confession for all our unfaithfulness and disobedience, for the pride, vanity, and hypocrisy of our lives, for our self pity and impatience and our envy of those we think more fortunate than ourselves, for our unrighteous anger, bitterness, and resentment, for all lies, gossip, and slander against our neighbors. For our sexual impurity, our exploitation of other people, and our failure to give of ourselves in love. For our self-indulgent appetites and ways, and our intemperate pursuit of worldly goods and comforts. For our dishonesty in daily life and work, our ingratitude for your gifts, and our failure to heed your call for our blindness to human need and suffering, for our indifference to injustice and cruelty, for our wastefulness and misuse of your creation, for our lack of concern for those who come after us, for all false judgments for prejudice and contempt of others, and for all uncharitable thoughts toward our neighbors, for our negligence in prayer and worship, for our presumption and abuse of your means of grace, for seeing the praise of others rather than the approval of God, and for our failure to commend the faith that is in us. (laughs) It's a pretty sobering list for me, and friends, I hope it's a fairly sobering list for you as well. And in light of it, does anyone doubt the reality of sin, the pollution of sin in our lives, and the need for a Savior? This is why salvation came. This is why Jesus went to the cross. Regeneration is one of those descriptions of what it means to be saved that we talked about a few weeks ago and regeneration is what we are capable of as a result of what Jesus did on the cross in Titus 3:5 we read he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness in other words not because we're good people not because we do good things but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what it's saying is Christ died on the cross in some amazing way that God gave himself for us And that as a result of that, the Holy Spirit abides in our hearts today and makes real that regeneration that God provided for us on the cross. We who were once hostile and rebellion and headed our own way find ourselves in fellowship with him. Regeneration is God's answer to the alienation that comes from sin. The second thing Nikki mentioned is the power of sin. Sin has an addictive power. We start down a path in our lives thinking that we're in control. And sin goes upside down on us because what we think we begin with control in our lives goes upside down and we find ourselves a slave to what initially we thought we were in control of. And friends, that, that may apply to things like addictions, which are sort of obvious, but it also applies to thought patterns in our lives, to addicting kinds of thought patterns that are not healthy or good for us. There's a cosmic battle going on and the powers of evil want to influence every one of us towards death and destruction. Jesus Christ defeated the evil on the cross and the Holy Spirit applies, us to, applies it to our lives and, and what happens is liberation or freedom from the power of the evil one. There's a great verse that I would encourage you to memorize if you you have not done so, and that is 1 John 4.4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And and, and I, I, I can't emphasize enough the power of this in the midst of our lives where we experience fear and anxiety and concern and we worry and we ruminate on things we need to know this verse and we need to come against those things with the knowledge that no matter what the evil one may form against us no matter what sin may have come against us no matter our own sin greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world we read in John 8 36, so if the sun sets you free, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Those who sin are slaves to sin, according to John 8.34. Another consequence of sin is death, according to Romans 6. That is spiritual death, death in terms of a relationship, a death of a relationship with God. But we don't have to live out that bondage to death, to sin because of what Christ has done on the cross through his death and then his resurrection. We can enjoy victory over sin and death through that resurrection. And today we have the Holy Spirit abiding in our hearts. Romans eight eleven is a wonderful promise. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul says elsewhere that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives brings freedom. 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That freedom gives us the ability to overcome sin. And what we need to understand, though, is that that ability to overcome sin is not, excuse me, something that is just... um, Available uh, at a whim, in a moment of temptation, we're we're good, because if we wait till the moment of temptation, we're we're probably going to be in trouble often. What we have as followers of Jesus Christ is something called discipleship. And discipleship is where, over a period of time in our lives, we increasingly look like Jesus Christ. And as we increasingly look like Jesus Christ, our character is actually changed from the inside out. So we don't want to do the things that we formerly did because our character has changed. And with our character being changed, we now want the good. We don't want the bad. Next is the penalty of sin, all of us cry out for justice. I, I felt so dreadful in watching about the school shooting in Tennessee. Another another tragedy. Three adults, three children, including the pastor's daughter. Such a profound, profound tragedy. And when these kind of things happen, we long for justice. We want those who commit such things to receive justice. And in this case, the The person responsible um, was killed in the act. But we have that feeling that we want justice, and this applies not only to criminals, but to us as well. Thankfully, through God's grace, he paid the penalty of sin on the cross. He took our place, in a sense, in terms of how God felt about sin. His death made it so that we did not have to die because the penalty of sin is death. And at the heart of this, it it is so important for us to understand that it isn't our own goodness, it's not our own works, it's not because we're such wonderful people that this is the case. It's because Jesus died on the cross, he became the means by which our sins are forgiven. The scripture says, Galatians 3, now it is evident that no one is justified by by God for the law. That is to say, none of us are right before God because we're such wonderful people. We're all broken. But he goes on to say, the righteous shall live by faith. That is faith in what Christ has done for us. The picture that we have here is a, a, a wonderful picture of what God has done for us and It's not because of how good we are. The final thing I want to suggest here is the partition of sin. The partition of sin is a recognition that our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 tells us that sin provides a barrier between us and God. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What Jesus did on the cross for us is called the gospel. The gospel means good news. He came to earth specifically to die for our sins, and that's sometimes referred to as dying in our place. We call it the atonement. That's a fancy theological term. But the atonement simply means at one meant. It means that, that this partition of sin was broken by what Jesus did on the cross. At the end of our text is a most fascinating verse of Scripture, it says that at the moment that Christ died, the veil in the temple in Jerusalem was split in two. And, 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 and the imagery of that is so powerful because up until that time, only the priest was able to go in behind the veil. The veil sheltered the people from the Holy of Holies, and once a year, the priest would go in and make sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And now, with Christ's death on the cross, this momentous moment, the veil is torn into. It's opened up, meaning that we now have access directly to God without any kind of an intermediary. No priest is necessary. No minister, in a sense, is necessary. We have direct access to God, and that separation that was there is no longer there we were once estranged from god and now we are at one with god and being at one with god provides us the ability to be at one with others that's what god has for us and so in a few moments when we take communion together here we're going to do a prayer of confession and the prayer of confession has us stop and look at our relationship with God and say, is there anything that has come into that relationship that's affect that at one that atonement? What, what is a relationship with God? Is there anything that's come in there? And then we confess it and we get rid of it. And then we also talk at that moment, we confess about sin relative to our neighbors, and in our heart of hearts, then we ask ourselves, have we done something that has affected our relationship with others as well. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So what does this mean for us today? When we think of the cross, we think of what happened 2000 years ago and the power of the cross 2000 years ago, but friends, the power of the cross has not changed. The power of the cross is real today. And today, to help us understand that reality, I've uh, invited Mark and Vanessa to come up here. And please come on up, you two. And I just want to conclude by having them uh, share a little bit. And um, part of this story, much of the story, surrounds uh, Vanessa and, uh, and actually how we, we met. Come on up here, you two. Vanessa, I'm going to let you hold that. So... Um, Vanessa, we're talking about the power of the cross, and when I was working on my sermon this week, and I thought, so how am I going to conclude this sermon? I thought, I need to have Vanessa and Mark come up and just very briefly share some of their story. So about two years ago, um, something happened. Um, I I had been in a restaurant, Arnie's restaurant down on the waterfront, with... Uh, David Nelms of TTI. And uh, David Nelms is from North Carolina, and he's not shy, but he doesn't understand Western Washington culture. So a server, a very, very nice server at Arnie's came to help us. And what does David say to this server, but this guy over here pointing at me, he's the pastor of the best church in Edmonds, and you ought to go there. And I'm like... Oh, David, we don't, we don't do that here in western Washington. And uh, I, was, I was pretty embarrassed. But, Vanessa, what did you say?
0: Um, we were thinking about going to a church. Mark and I hadn't been to church in many years, and we had been talking about it. And I got the invite. And I have to tell you, when I got the invite, my ears started roaring, and all day I walked on a God high and I went home and told Mark, and we tried to show up the next week, but we were late. So we showed up the following week. So
1: you guys you guys chatted for a bit, because David's um, David's remarks were sort of like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, maybe you need to think about this. Yes. So you talked at home? We did
0: talk about it for a little bit, um, because we hadn't been to church, and I had been hurt by a church years ago, so it, it did take some conversation between us. Mark was all in right away. I I had reservations, honestly, I I did. But because, I have to be honest, if we hadn't gotten that invite, we might still be talking about going to church.
1: (laughs) So, So you got the invite, you came to church. And I know that God's Holy Spirit began to work in your lives in a, in a very real way. So, do you remember what happened last Easter, Sunday morning? I got ba- we got baptized. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was one of the best days of my life, it, our life, sorry. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> and it was amazing. Um, and i I thank God every day for his grace, and sometimes I don't see it, and then when I step back and I see it, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, He was there the whole time, and then sometimes his grace, I just run right into it like a door, and like hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, so yeah you'll never get rid of me sorry uh,
1: <laughs> so um we were talking earlier about discipleship and God working in our lives and growing. And uh, so this morning, I had to pry Vanessa away from teaching a Sunday school class because in this journey, they have moved in and recognized that part of, part of following Jesus is serving and so um, Vanessa is now serving regularly with our children up in Sunday school. And yesterday, Mark, when I was coming by the church with Barb, and we were looking at the new doors for Club Grub, um, you were busy working, making sure that those doors were actually going to be able to be anchored. Okay. Yes. So we've we kind of got you plugged in as well with your gifts mm-hmm. and skills and whatnot. So Mark actually put in all of the beautiful. It's not. Granite, but it's like that. It's like that, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. So, I am so excited about their story because it so well illustrates for us that the cross is powerful today, 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross. Would you join me in thanking them for being willing to come forward? Thank you. Thank you. So we are shifting now into a time of communion and it's only appropriate because what communion really is is an expression of thanksgiving. And so for Mark and Vanessa, but also for every one of us here today, we are around the communion table to express thanks. It's called the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. And so would you join me in thanking the Lord as you take the cup and the bread today? Thanking the Lord for the cross, for the power of the cross in your lives. And so we're going to take a moment and prepare our hearts, as I mentioned, and we are going to uh, then um, take the communion together. I invite the worship team to, uh, to come forward. Let's take a moment in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the power of the cross which continues in our lives. It's transformative. It changes lives. And so, Lord, I pray today for my brothers and sisters in Christ that as we gather around this table, we would do so with thankful hearts for what the cross has done for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. we're going to take just a moment in the quietness of our own hearts to look at our vertical relationship with God and make sure that we are still at one with Him and to take a moment and look at our horizontal relationship with others. As we do this, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to take a moment in the quietness of our own hearts and then offer the prayer of confession together. And so, friends, let's humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Let's join together in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and earnestly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in Your will and walk in Your ways to the glory of Your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of His great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto Him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The words of institution for our service come from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we read these words, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we thank you this morning for your broken body. We thank you, Lord, for your shed blood. We thank you, Lord, that... What you have done on the cross has released us from the pollution of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and Lord, also from the partition of sin. We have been restored to relationship with you and been given the ability to restore our relationships with others. And so, Lord, may we enter into this time with thanksgiving in our hearts for the wonderful gift of salvation you have given us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.